Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. And Abundantly Well, Seven Medicines, The Wise Woman Way, the newest book in the Wise Woman Herbal Series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Welcome, Sarah Ellen, and thank you, Justine. Hi, Susan. How are you? Hi, how are you tonight? I'm doing fabulous. How are you? Welcome back to the to Welcome the back to the Catskills from Wisconsin, yes. 
I was at the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference, and we were all so thrilled to be together. The conference sold out a month early with 125 women on the waiting list. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Just want want to be together. And, you know, I am so glad to be an old fuddy-duddy New Yorker because we got to the airport, and there was a lovely woman there to pick us up. And we, um, of course, were wearing our N95 masks in the airplane and um, in the airport and still had them on in the car. And I said to our driver, are you vaccinated? And she said, no. So we just left our masks on because we're from New York. And so we kind of take this whole thing, like, really seriously. And we were really glad we did because three hours after we got to the, after she dropped us off, we were told she tested positive. <gasps> oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. So the next morning, my traveling companion did a rapid test event. It's a rapid test, and she was negative. And I felt perfectly fine, so I decided I didn't need to do a test. After all, I'd been wearing my mask. Yeah. Wow. Ta-da-da. Wow. <laughs> and we, it wow. was just, it was magnificent. My suggestion is that you register for now, now for next year's conference. This is oh the 11th annual conference, and uh, she, Linda is going to continue on. Hooray, Linda. So um, it's just remarkable. I would say that probably 20 to maybe as many as 30% of the women at the conference considered themselves to be newbies. Nice, nice. Yeah. I love that. So many. One of, yeah. One of Linda's special things is that she loves introducing people to herbal medicine, to people's medicine. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The weather was good, right? It was nice and warm and dry for the most part. It rained, it was cold, and it poured, I mean poured, to the extent that there was no going out in it. Most of the other time, the rain was like one of those, like, Seattle rains where you just say, I will pay no attention to this, it is merely a thick fog, (laughs) even though it's actually coming down. Um, People were doing their walks, but when I was supposed to do a plant walk, it was coming down like it does in the tropics, just sheets of water pouring out of the sky. Started like 15 oh. minutes before my walk started and ended five minutes before my walk was over. Like, all right, I get the message, that's fine. I actually, when I was a very young herbalist, I used to take people out in all kinds of weather to see the plants. I mean, it's not like the plants go away when it's raining. <laughs> so we would go and see this. 
And then it took me a while, but I did begin to realize that people with blue lips weren't learning a lot. <laughs> and what was being said was nothing well retained because they were freezing to death. And so the blood and energy was being withdrawn from their brain and taken to their core. And so I stopped doing that. Makes good sense. What did yeah. you do instead of a walk? We, talk, we talked about um, talked about talking with plants. Mm-hmm. Okay. Kind of talked about, you know, what that is and and who are the fairies and what are divas and uh, they asked me one of my favorite questions about uh, reciprocity and leaving gifts. And as you know, my understanding of that is that we don't live in a gift economy. And if you want to know about the gift economy, do Genevieve Vaughn, V-A-U-G-H-N, Genevieve Vaughn, has been articulating the gift economy for, gosh, as long as I've known her, maybe 40 years and perhaps even longer than that. Uh, But we don't live in the gift economy. We live in an economy where things are bought. And so what I want from people is that they go to nature, they go to the herbs that they are harvesting empty-handed and humble. Hmm. Humble is especially difficult for most white people. And I think it's the most appropriate attitude for us to have when we're working with the plants. Mm-hmm. And it's not that anyone is trying to be bad, but when we're brought up in a culture in which you can't go somewhere and pick up a banana and eat it without paying for it, then when we leave a plant a gift, it's as though we've paid for it. Mm. And once we pay for something in our culture, we own it and we can do what we want with it. Mm -hmm. It's not it's not reciprocal anymore because we've been trained to, without giving thought at all, live in an economy that isn't a reciprocal gift economy. Yeah, money, such interesting medium of exchange. It does a lot to the interaction. It's definitely a third party. And it I'm not t- even talking about money. People don't mm. leave money if to a plant. I'm talking about cornmeal and tobacco and anything at all. But to be willing to see yourself as someone who comes to the plant with nothing of any value to offer. And to be taken care of 
by the plants, by earth, by nature. This, in fact, as Genevieve says, is where the gift economy starts, that human beings uniquely depend on their mothers after birth. How long did it take the baby goats before they were up and running around? Not very long. I mean, they were up within a matter of minutes. Running, maybe by the end of the day, they were they were springing a little bit. I mean, pretty good. And when does a human baby start walking? The earliest would be seven months, usually a year later. Yeah, usually, usually a year. So human gestation is actually 80 weeks, half in and half out of the uterus. And we're actually dependent on our mother to feed us and carry us around. So this is the beginning of the gift economy. We are gifted with our life and nourishment and movement by our mother. Mm. And I'm not sure that Genevieve talks about this. I'm not that intimately familiar with her work. I know her. I know she's been doing this for a long time and is very active doing it now because people are really looking for different things. Um, So she's holding salons. So if you look, you'll be able to connect to that. Uh, But what I see in our culture is that children resent this. And they, it, again, this is not necessarily something that they're deciding on or that they have a choice on. It's kind of built into the culture that there's a resentment of being dependent and that we must be independent. And especially, we can especially see this when we look at end-of-life stories, how... Many people have said to me, oh, Grandpa was fine until this happened, and then he became dependent on others, and he wasted away because he wasn't willing to be dependent. Mm. Mm. Yeah, wow. So I see how strongly we resist, at least in our culture, being dependent. And... It's hard for me because, of course, I'm enculturated into my culture, too. But when I'm really keeping my eyes and my ears and my heart and all my senses open around Native people, I see something really different. And it's a humbleness that is transcended and becomes the kind of feeling that you have, most of us have, about our mother loving us. We are truly deserving. And that deserving, it comes, I think, from being willing to go empty-handed and be humble and be taken care of. So that we have awe and gratitude. Mm.
because yeah. it's awesome, isn't it? Oh my gosh, here's the motherwort with all of its flower buds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And for the sure. and the bed straws in full flower. You know, just carpets of white foamy flowers everywhere. Mm. And the the I call it Queen of the Night. The guidebooks and field guides call it Dame's Rocket, Hesperus Matronalis, which means Night Queen. Mm. It's blooming and it's so wonderfully scented just at this time in the in the dusk time when the sun isn't really in the sky but there's its sky is still bright even though the sun's down a bit. Especially in the mountains. We get long periods of that where we can't see the sun but it's still kind of up. So beautiful. Mm. So beautiful. Mm. I feel like I can feel the cat skills just you describing that in the sunset. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Oh, and look, here's yeah. a motherwort already opened right in front of me. <laughs> Colleen is pointing. said, look, look, those are fuzzy pink flowers. I want to continue to cheerlead the Hypericum Confabulation. The Hypericum Confabulation hopefully, will take place next May, May 2023. And as with the Comfrey Conference, we are inviting anybody who wants to send us proposals to be presenters. Right? As you see, we have presenters who have topics that they're talking about. And I teased, you know, that I told all of my Comfrey Conference presenters that I didn't want them to focus on making comfrey ointment, although they could talk about it, and most of them did talk about making a poultice or an ointment, and I'm so glad. Um, so in the same way, um, I, I, I'm sure that everyone will tell us about how they make hypericum oil, um, just as we had 16 different ways to make comfrey poultices and, and uh, comfrey uh, sass. Uh, but what we're really looking for in the presentations um is some focus. Um, Althea Orr, who is at the um, Midwest Women's Herbal Conference, has sent in a proposal to talk about hypericum and herpes. And she says all forms of herpes. Wow. So that's what I mean, you know. And um, then... I was just talking to Astrid, and she said that her dad, I think he's a naturopath, um, uses Hypericum a lot, and she's going to encourage him to make a short. Because like with the Comfrey Conference, we want a lot of shorts. Did you like the shorts at the Comfrey Conference? Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, they were like the condiments on the table. They added all those savory things, and it was uh, like a fruit bowl that you could dip into and just, Pick out a grape if you only had a moment. That's exactly right. Yes, a handful of grapes if you had a few moments, especially if it was like, oh, that one was good. Let me try another one. (laughs) So why am I cheerleading this? Because Hypericum is not going to be as gracious in one respect as Comfrey was. 
right? Those who decided, oh, my gosh, I really want to do this in March, right, could go out there and find some coverage. (laughs) That's not going to happen with Hypericum. You're going to want to make your videos, your shorts, and your presentations coming up, right? Yeah. Plant starts starts blooming at summer solstice. Mm -hmm. Now, in my area, the bloom season is pretty long. It can start by mid-June and go through at the end of June, all the way through July, well into August in select locations. I've even found it in September. Wow. Don't put it. Don't put it off to the last minute. Send us your proposal if you want to do presentations. And, yes, we're going to have a Hypericum T-shirt. And, yes, presenters will get one. Um, but, yes, presenters get paid. Or just make a short. You don't have to be an expert or, you know, know how to make a video. Just, you know, the same way you do a selfie. Just push a video and talk about your relationship with Hypericum. We'll all appreciate it, and you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually thinking of giving everybody who sends in a short a T-shirt next year too. So then we'll have shorts and T-shirts, appropriate oh, attire. Oh, nice! <laughs> yeah. Oh wow, the T-shirt! Oh, I love my comfrey T-shirt. So I've already been wondering, hmm, when is the Hypericum fairy goddess going to look like on the shirt? Exactly. <laughs> Yes, I was at a workshop at the conference, and um, Eagle Song was there, who was one of the presenters at the Comfrey Conference, as we recall. And we were both wearing our Comfrey shirts that day, and the woman who was giving the talk, after about an hour, said, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. And I looked at Eagle Song, and Eagle Song looked at me, and we jumped up and went to the front of the room and said, Wow, she's gone. She was just about to start talking about comfrey. Let us tell you about the comfrey conference. There's a whole conference. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The timing. How lovely. <laughs> <laughs> she was doing a PowerPoint. And just as she said, I have to go to the bathroom, she put the PowerPoint of Comfrey up. And so he said, okay, here we go. Do, 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 do. <laughs> there are some other people um, that might be presenting at the Hypericum Conference. I asked someone who says that she's a, a nerd about the chemistry to see if she could find out why it is that our skin reacts so differently to fresh Hypericum and to dry Tipericum. Mm. I don't know if she'll do it. Um, but hopefully, I've put it out to the universe, and I like that. Now, we have a guest tonight, okay. and that guest is Natalie Brown. Oh, no, we don't have a guest tonight, because I just remember, I got word that Natalie has COVID, and she's too sick to be here tonight. So you can keep hauling in with questions all the way till 9.30 tonight. Do we have any questions to start off? 
We do. We already have, let's see, one, two, three hands raised. So I'll let everyone else listening know to get yourself lined up in the queue. Uh, you need to press one, and then your hand will be raised. A first caller has dialed in from the 845 area code. From the 845, you are live with Susan. Hello. Hi. Hi, Susan. What's up with you tonight? Oh, I'm feeling wonderful. I'm so glad to, to talk, hear that. To talk to you, and um, what a beautiful conference. I can't thank you enough for offering that to people um, for free that signed up early. I've never been able to afford it uh, at this time. That was my first herbal conference. And for $99 or whatever, 89 whatever whatever the price is that you would like for a lifetime subscription to a conference is above and beyond the glory of your generosity. And I thank you so much. So I've been healing this bad foot, broken ankle foot um, with the bone marrow leaking problem. And um, I listened to your Slippery Elm uh, radio show. Is that okay to talk about that on this show? Certainly. Totally. Yes. Oh, oh Okay. On HealthyLight.net and... Uh, the, uh, the the shows on the trees are just so magnificent. I had thought about doing something like that myself, uh, but rather in a juvenile way, um, more for children, meaning. But um, because I was a child educator in my profession, uh, so um, in my main profession for money, that is. So. Um, I'm thinking of adding that to the arsenal. I have comfrey. I have arnica and St. John's wort. And I'm thinking I would like a plaster of slippery elm. Well, I see absolutely nothing wrong with that. Well, it never occurred to me to make a plaster. And... The thing with oils and um, things of that nature is they're very slimy and greasy and dirty on a daily basis. Um, somebody was, myself, somebody was asking me about putting stuff on my unhealed wound, and and I said exactly the same thing. I said, to tell you the truth, yuck. Oily, messy, gets all over everything, eh, eh, right. eh, you know. And the truth right. is, if I put oil on there, then I can't put a bandage on because the bandage won't stick. Eh. Yeah. And washing the sheets is not something to do with a broken foot, you know. Right. Um, I'm not saying huh? that slippery elm would be neat, however, if we're talking neat here, because slippery elm is... Slippery. Yeah. 
So I, I, the neatest I, I, thing to do is to take a old towel, a mm-hmm. kitchen towel, a hand towel, not a big bath towel, yes. and to somehow get the towel and the herb to play together. That can be soaking the towel in the infusion or decoction of the herb. It can be putting the herb in the towel and folding the towel over. And if the towel is wet or drippy, it can be put in a plastic bag. And plastic that, bag? It, Didn't think of that. Yeah. Yeah, you can do that. Um, and it will still work amazingly enough. Or in the hospitals, they use these plastic-backed uh, cotton pads called chucks. I, I know about that. So you can just, you know, protect your floor with a chucks if you're using a wet, drippy towel. Aren't those like uh, delivery pads or something when you're having a baby? Or they're used for every any time you're going to be spreading fluids around in the hospital. There's yeah. a chucks band. No matter what yeah, fluids, yeah, it, no matter what you're doing, they're yeah. they're going to be ready with the chucks. So they're great to have around. <laughs> Is that made out of gauze or? or no, what? it's cotton. cotton. They're, Usually blue on the back, and it's plastic, and then the inside is cotton. You can tell because if you try to reuse it, it mats up like cotton does. So the herb can actually get through the plastic, and that amazes me. My mind is going to explode. Yeah. Yeah, you know, even Edgar Cayce, you know, and people after him were wrapping the stuff up so it didn't drip. I prefer to, you know, let there be a little, a little drip and just protect the surrounding but, area. Me when too. I but I was focusing my arm with the, you know, comfrey towel soaked in the comfrey infusion, putting it on my wrist. Yeah. I ruined a couple of shirts, but you know, it was like, okay. Yeah, I've ruined a lot of stuff, and I don't care. But sometimes I want to do it, and then I have an outing, and I don't have time to change or exactly. So yeah, use a plastic bag. Yeah, and it gets really stinky. The oil in the summer. The other thing we used, which is kind of an in between, is an ace bandage. I was thinking of the ace bandage. Sorry, but the you know the compress or the poultice or the and fermentation, you know, right bandage. on the injury and then wrapped an ace bandage around it, which, you know, pretty much keeps the the right. drip and the, the ooze down. Right, and then maybe a plastic over that. I think that's what Peter Bigfoot uh, did. I, I can't that's remember. What he was going to, yeah. So, um, I, I watched all of the sh- show, all of the days of the Comfrey Conference thinking, oh, this is so easy. Oh, my gosh. And by day five, I got a little tired and couldn't finish. And on day six, I had to finish day five. And on day seven, I finished, I, I started day six. And on day eight, I finished, went back to finish day six. I still haven't day seven because I'm, I'm saving it like, um, you know, like a birthday present or something. <laughs> I don't know like, why. Like the last bite of a delicious dessert. And I'm so happy to hear you announce next year's conference because 
I think it's very important since, um, uh, you know, this month is will be the bloom, the the first blooms of the Hypericum. So, uh, anyone who wants to be part of this would like to get their video presentations out in the wild this summer for next May. Exactly. And if I can get up to my mountain, my very special spot where I get my hypericum, I am going to make a video. Yay! So, um, yay is right. Um, I like your reading in, in the... Um, in your HealthyLife.net tree series. I like how you do a lot of reading. And you're doing a a reading of a book called The Song of the Trees? Yes, not to be confused with the book by the name The Song of the Trees. I know. I know. I know that. Um, Actually, I didn't know there was another book, and I looked into it. Very fine and fascinating. But I like these old... um, 19th century uh, chin slash nonfiction stories back in the day. And I am reading a book I wanted to share with you that I know you will love. Um, I don't know how easy it is to get a copy, but I'd certainly be happy to lend you mine. It's called A Girl of the Limber Lost, and it's by Jean Stratton Porter. And Jean Stratton Porter was the first biologist in American education in a formal setting of school. And she lives in Illinois, and she wrote this book in 1909. She wrote a lot of other books as well. Um, But this one in particular reminded me so much of Song of the Trees. I just had to share this with you. Have you heard of Jean Stratton Porter before? I haven't. Well, now you have. And you said it's and Girl of the Limber Lost? A Girl of the Limber Lost, a Jean with a G, Stratton Porter. And it's this book is by Grasset and Dunlop, New York, 1909. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's, oh, there's lots of, uh, of uh, versions of it. Are there? Yes, here's here's one with a I don't know. It's hard to tell, you know. It's very tiny, but her hair is so long, and so it looks like a kind of naked girl with extremely long hair. That's probably That's a modern young. one. Yeah. Right, and then here's one with like yeah. a, a picture of a forest, and here's one with what looks like a photograph of her, and here's one with like a a really old drawing, and one with a painting, and really nice. Right, a novel by American writer and naturalist Jean Stratton Porter, published in August 1909, considered a classic. And it's a sequel to the earlier novel, Freckles. Yes. <laughs> and and there's a, a book about the honeybees. Um, 
she had probably seven or eight books, uh, I think, that were considered um, published, but I, I know she had uh, other works um, that might not have been considered books, but uh, her husband was one of was the first... Um, I believe banker in America, which kind of irks me in the weirdest ways. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, she was a you. Uh, when I read about her, I was so inspired. And then when I started listening to your show, I saw this resemblance between the two of you. And then when you declared your love for nonfiction, and you read that Song of the Trees, I just broke down in tears because I said, these two have to meet. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I will will pursue our connection and get at least one copy of Girl of the Limberlost since I have so many to choose from. I am so happy you will do that. Um, There's no end to her uh, fluorescent depiction of nature everything comes alive when she talks about where she lived and it was a real place a real forest in the swamps and she protected it by herself against all odds and that's why it reminded me of that song you're reading Song of the Trees yeah thank you so much so can you think of anything else I could add to my arsenal to heal uh, my very tender tissues and bones and ligaments in my foot and ankles? It's yes. coming along. Yes. Yes. But yes, yes, absolutely. I was working on a carpentry crew once, and one of the men on the crew decided to adjust his belt sander while it was running with his thumb. Oh. oh, this was a very bad idea as the belt sender I... grabbed his thumb and ground a great bit of it off. Oh. Not only that, I mean, okay, we were concerned about him. I'm not saying we weren't concerned about him, but he had blood all over this beautiful oak door that we had just finished staining and oh, just totally oh messed it up, you know, and the white paint on the wall. Oh, man. Oh. Blood. Like, anyhow, <laughs> what I had him do was what I would like you to do because our mind tends to see the gestalt one particular way, and a gestalt is something that can be seen foreground or background, but you can see it either way, like, hmm, is that two silhouettes facing each other, or is it a goblet? Like the magic eye pictures. No, not like the magic eye. Gestalt is where you can actually, when you you look and you see two silhouette face, nose to nose. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, and you look I, at I it, know it, and I then you see, oh, no, it's not yeah. silhouette, it's a goblet. Yeah, 
Yeah, I love those so too. That's yeah. a gestalt, right? That's called a gestalt. I didn't know that. It's a gestalt, that. and the that. mind tends to choose one and not one. really deal with the other. And with right. an injury, the one the mind chooses is injured, 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 injured. So what right. I had him do, because the doctor said his thumbnail wouldn't grow back, I mean, he'd ground down some of the bone. It was pretty serious. Um, right. And I said, yes, your body can totally replace that, but what you have to do is every time you start to think about grinding your thumb off, you have to put your good thumb right next to it and look at your good thumb and say, what's under the bandage is going to look exactly like this. What are you calling it? The grid thumb, G-R-I-D? No, 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 I didn't call it anything at all. He had one thumb that was injured and one that was not, yes? Right. Good thumb. Oh, good, good. I'm sorry. Good, but only in this, only in the sense of uninjured. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I get it. Not that, not that that thumb was better than the other thumb. Uh, right? I understand now. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> so the uninjured thumb he put right next to the bandaged injured thumb whenever he thought. I've been doing about... that. I've been putting the good ankle next to the other ankle. Yes. And looking at them together and saying yes. to the yes. bad ankle, you're just as good as right. the other ankle. You, you just look a little funny. No, 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 no. Not allowed. No. Not allowed. Not allowed. No. Not allowed. Don't right. say that at all. At no. all, because if you say you look a little funny, then it will look a little funny. I see. I, I know so, what you're saying now. Look at you it look, and say, you look, he's you know, Here is my ankle, my uninjured ankle, and this one, which is bandaged and healing, in the end is going to be just like this one. Yeah, I mean, that's what I really feel in my heart. You know, words are so funny. I said the word, and I didn't like the word I said, and it just reminds yes, me I so totally, much. I totally understand, so keep that up. Right. It's excellent, and uh, be patient with yourself, and remember that healing is not an on-ramp, it's a spiral, and sometimes there's going to be off days. Can, can I, is there any way if I, I don't know what else to do, um, I can't transport around an electric wheelchair, so my only other option is a garden cart, and I was thinking if some, if I had a wagon, a nice Sturdy steel wheeled wagon. If, if I if I came to your house on a weekend for a workshop, would it be possible if I had a friend just wheel me around in the wagon? I know you have some roads and stuff. Would that be intrusive? Would that maybe work? Is there a particular? It, it's it's not that it would be intrusive. It's hard to describe to people who haven't been here. I know. But it's a ghost I'd, like you to, um, I'd like you to imagine 4,000 acres which were quarried. That many? 4,000 acres. It wasn't one big quarry. There were a great many quarries. Oh, no, quarries. I know you're right but next o- to over 40. Over 4,000 yeah. acres the land has been disturbed. So there are it's, great... Piles of rock. Rocks. I didn't it's know not, that. I've only been right. here, like, uh, patio area. I have never been around the whole property. 
Yes, exactly. So yes, you okay. can. You can. You know, people with limited access can get to the patio without a doubt. And if you want to come to a class, I will do my best to accommodate you and to do most of the class at a place that you can get to. Well, maybe later in the season. I just wanted to think about it and throw it out there because I'm getting very lonely, not places. Totally. I miss miss people and clear that it's next to impossible to, because we have tried to get somebody in some kind of wheeled vehicle um, out into the, the wilder places here. And there's just pretty much impossible, even pretty much impossible, to get into the gardens. But there are nonetheless are yeah. places that we can see and some that we can have. So let me know beforehand okay. um, that you have All right. well, you, no uh, mobility, you know, limited mobility, yeah. and I will accommodate that. Maybe, here's a food for thought, maybe um, once a year or something like that, um, you could offer up a day for people with limited mobilities uh, and just have a more sedate kind of outing. I don't know. I I don't mean to sound so bossy or anything. I just, I feel a little weird. Well, you know, you can always come in a day when it rains. Oh, yeah? Oh, yes. That's good. Right, if it's raining on a workshop day, then we can't go anywhere, can we? Oh, no, we can't, can we? Oh, wow. Now I like rain. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? We have been having such a good time that we're probably being rude to other people waiting to ask the questions. I I know. I heard you didn't have a guest tonight. Thanks for now. Be continued. Love you, too. Bye. Love you. Bye-bye. All right, and we do have three callers that have raised their hands with questions. I'll remind everyone listening, if you have a question, press 1, and that will line you up in the queue to get on the line live with Susan this evening. Our next caller is dialed in from the 541 area code. From the 541, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi, what's up? Well, I wanted to talk about a situation uh, with our one-and-a-half-year-old, Maya. Yes, go ahead. She has had, um, well, she's had a terrible time teething. That's one. She's got a lot of molars coming in. Um, She's already got, like, her front four teeth on the top. And I saw her just being more and more distressed about 10 days ago, maybe two weeks ago. And, um, you know, I figured it was that she was teething really badly and we were nursing a lot and doing that um, and, you know, just some basic remedies. And then... um, Then I had a morning where she was really crying, and I looked in there, and I saw some blood on her front teeth, and I saw a little bit of, like, tissue kind of um, around that area. And it seemed like there was an infection possibly in the gum on that front tooth that she already had. And that kind of scared us a little bit, and thankfully um, my husband's, Mom, my my mother-in-law, she was a hygienist and 
she took a look, and basically she doesn't see anything that actually wrong with the tooth, but that there is probably some kind of infection in the gum. And that night we started spraying yarrow on it, and it did improve pretty dramatically, like overnight. Um, and I gave her a little echinacea. But we've been continuing with that, and it has gotten progressively better. At the same time, there's still kind of this raised area on her front. Um, I can't think. I think it's the right tooth. And then a little bit of what looks like infection in the back of the of the gum on the underside of her tooth. Um, so I wanted to run that by you and see if you have any thoughts. Yes, my thought is to hold her. This is on her top teeth? Uh-huh. Yes, to hold her upside down. So that you can drip yarrow tincture directly into the gum behind the, those upper teeth. Yeah. Okay. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Yeah, yeah. And at that age, I don't think she's going to complain about being held upside down. Yeah, she's been complaining already. I think, I think she will find it great fun. Oh, she won't complain. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, she might. Yeah. I think that she will be that she will not complain about being held upside down. That she yeah, will think, that would. Oh, you know, finally than... we're going to have a little fun with this, right? right? And okay. So as long as she's willing to do that, because that will help the yellow really deeply penetrate into there. Yes, because that seems to be the source of it. Uh-huh. That's what that's what I'm hearing from you. Yeah. And. Um, do that frequently. Okay. Every hour is not too much. Okay. And you say she is taking some echinacea tincture. Yes. Um, I haven't been as diligent with that. Um, sometimes huh? she just will refuse to drink whatever I put it in. Um, but do you think it would work even just to put a little in everything she does drink or that kind of strategy? She's how old is Um, A year and a half. My first choice would be to Engage her desire to not be in pain. Mm-hmm. And I would say to her, you seem to be in pain. I have a remedy that will help get rid of the pain. It doesn't taste good. Mm-hmm. How about if I count one, two, three, and you take it, and then together we go. <laughs> mm. Did she go for it? Yeah. Yes, and thanks for saying that. 
Um, right. So that instead of trying to hide it, you know, we make it something that she's doing because she wants to do it because she doesn't want to be in pain. Right. What? Right. And so, you, yeah, you know, put it in a little bit of juice or something, infusion, whatever it is, that, that you know, milk, whatever she likes and is willing to drink, but just a little bit, just like an ounce of it, so she really can just, like, kind of chug it down, right? Glug, glug. Yeah. And then you both get to um, make faces and funny noises. <laughs> That's fun, yeah. yeah. My granddaughter and I, she's 14, we still like making faces at each other. Right. I could probably recruit other family members, too. <laughs> yeah. So, help her, yeah. Have... Yeah, because she has experienced a good amount of pain recently. and I... Right. And it's hard. Home. It's real It's real. It's really hard, and here's a way to not be in pain, but she's got to do it. And she's got to do it, like, every couple of hours. It's not okay. just one time and you're done. You've got to keep doing it. Yeah. And you could even make a chart and say, okay, you know, we're going to do this. Um, if you do it, like, every two hours while she's awake, what would that be like? She'll wake for 16 hours, 14 hours, right? Six or seven times, right? Okay. The echo, we're then talking then about the echinacea right now. Does she like stickers? Um, geez, we haven't gotten into stickers yet. But okay. <laughs> maybe. Can, she make a, can she make an X or a, a mark with a marker or a crayon? Yeah, she can do that. Okay, so you make a grid, you know, of the number of times that you're going to yeah. take echinacea today. Okay. And then each time you do, she gets to X or check or put something in the in the grid. And then at the end of the day, she gets something special. Okay, okay. She gets to turn in her completed sheet, and she gets a cookie or she gets a, a bubble bath or she gets to hear her favorite music or have two stories read to her before she goes to sleep or whatever you deem to be a worthy prize. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, yes, um, we had, you know, been in touch with a dentist, and they requested a photo. Um, but I was kind of remembering some of the things you said about, are you going to go, and then would you follow through with their plan or not, you know? Um, so I don't – basically, I, I think, yes, I would like to continue – the, the other thing I say um, is set a time limit. Uh-huh, yeah. At what point would you go to the dentist? If right. it's still like this a week from now? If it's still like this a month from now? How long do you want to let this run if the things that we're talking about aren't effective enough to eliminate the pain and the infection? Okay, yeah. Set yourself a time limit. Yeah. And then you don't have to worry every day if you're, you say, okay, the time limit isn't up yet, right? Right. The same way if you're, like, cooking something, you set a timer so you don't have to, like, pick up the lid on the rice pot every five minutes to see if it's done. No, the timer will bing, and I'll know it's done. Mm-hmm. 
That sounds good. Because it is definitely prudent to seek help if the problem isn't manageable at home. Yeah. But certainly, I think, with dangling or upside down and making (laughs) funny faces and strange noises that we can improve her outcome. Yeah. That sounds good. All right. Thanks for calling. Green blessings. Thank you. Green blessings. Good night. Good night. Ah, I didn't ask. All right. And I uh, will remind everyone listening, if you have a question for Susan this evening, uh, you do need to press 1 to get yourself lined up in the queue. And at this time, we have one caller that has raised their hand, and you are dialed in from the 201 area code. From the 201, you are live with Susan. It should be in here. No. Did you type it? No, I didn't type it. You were writing it hand. My hand Hello, you're on the air. From the 201, you are live. Right. I don't think they realize there. It's turn. Hi. What's up tonight? From the 201, you are Hello, from the 201. What what is the number here? 201. Oh, yeah. Hello. Hi. How are you tonight? Oh, very well. Hi, Susan. Hi. It's Carol. Tell me what's up. Oh, Carol. Hi. I wasn't recognizing your voice. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I was wondering if you could just, um, one, uh, explain the pesto, no, nettle pesto recipe, one, and two, um, did you say or would you say uh, anything about uh, what we should do about gun violence? Would you address that or no? You know, it's very interesting because my seatmate on the airplane coming home from the conference was coming back from the NRA conference. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> boy, oh, boy. And I said to him, I will do my absolute best not to make a snarky comment about dead children. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, which in itself is a bit of a snarky comment. Um and um, he said, you know, I, I served you. I, you know, helped provide your freedom. And I thanked him for his service. It being Memorial Day weekend and all and told him that my father was in World War II. And wow. that he enlisted a few months before the United States joined the war, hoping to have his service done before the war. But he didn't. And he was in for the entire war. Oh, wow. And. Um, I thought it was, and that was a little impressive to him. Um, and so he was, you know, willing to entertain listening to me and not just burying his nose in, in a, a book. And he was, you know, telling me a little about his life and the, he's done and, um, you know, that he usually travels armed, but he hasn't been recently. And I said, you know, could we agree that um, someone who is 
mentally unstable uh, shouldn't have access to uh, weapons of war so that that person can go out into society and make war on unsuspecting people. Right. And he said, well, I'm not so sure it's the, you know, the guns. And I said, yes, you are. Yes, we all know that it's <laughs> the assault, that it's the assault weaponry. And he yes. looked at me and said, all right. he said, all right, yes, that's true. Oh, wow. And he said that in Germany, they don't apparently sell that kind of weapon. And that there's a really big hoo-la-ha about getting a gun permit. And it takes a long time, but that once you have it, you can pretty much buy whatever is for sale. Wow. You don't have to keep being approved over and over again. So, you know, he, he trotted out, you know, some of his truisms that more guns would make us safer. And I said, more guns do not make us safer. Fewer guns is what makes us safer. You're the best. <clears throat> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know... <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe he wasn't listening to me. I wasn't listening to him about some of those things. Um, I choose not to own a gun. And that means I generally don't hang out with people who own guns. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it isn't part of my day-to-day thing. And I think about... The hundred and I think it's a hundred and fourteen mass shootings so far already this year in the United States. Oh my gosh, a hundred wow. Hundred and fourteen. So it's not just this one the the ones at public schools are particularly awful to us and we focus on them. But this is going on well, I don't know what, January, February, March, April, May. So it's almost one a day. Oh, wow. So any day is a good day to let the people who are representing you know that to represent you, they need to take some action. That doesn't mean it will necessarily happen. It doesn't mean they will even necessarily understand you. Mm-hmm. I wrote to my representatives and said, vote no on the equality bill. It is not equality. It starts out by saying, since women have their rights protected by law, which isn't true, we don't have an equal rights amendment. I said, and here's a true equality bill. And two out of three of them wrote back and said, thank you for urging me to vote yes on the equality bill. Oh, dear me. So, you know, do your best and understand that many of us don't listen to each other. I'm certainly guilty of it. When I'm hearing something I don't want to hear, I don't hear it. Mm. Mm -hmm. One of them, who was really quite a local representative, but in Washington... Um, I, like, called their office, and I really, you know, really took them to task about the whole thing and really got 
got involved in making it clear with them what I was saying and why I was saying it and what I really wanted and how I wanted them to represent me and that I understood that they, although they themselves were neither a lesbian nor a woman, that they could nonetheless represent me as a woman and as a lesbian. So what can we do? We can all do our best. Yes. And if you're not happy with what doing your best gets you, then do better. <laughs> yeah. So. And then what was your other question? Um, the nettle pesto. Oh, nettle pesto. Nettle pesto. Okay, so the first thing that I do for nettle pesto is that I want tender nettle leaves. Mm. So I am cutting the top part of the nettle maybe as much as the height of my hand from my palm to my fingertips, but no more. Mm-hmm. And that would go, is what goes in my basket. And then in the house, I get rid of all of the stalk. Well, I don't get rid of it. I cut the leaves off of the stalk, and I throw the stalks into a bowl of water, and I let them rot. And then I pour it on my plants. Oh, yes. So I am making nettle pesto only from the leaves and only from the top, tenderest leaves. And I put a bunch, a big bunch of nettle leaves, no stalks, into my mini Cuisinart. And then I strew some salt in there and some coarsely chopped garlic and then a generous glug, 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 glug of organic extra virgin olive oil. Put the top on and together. And then I open the top and I put more nettle leaves, more garlic, a little more salt, more oil, and it again. I usually add to it twice. So I have like three times that I've put nettle in there. And I'm tasting each time to adjust the salt to my salty desiredness. But the more that you get into your crease, the better, the the smoother the pesto will be. And when you start, you can only put, you know, you can only fill it up with leaves, even if you smoosh down. And you'll see, once that gets bored up, it's like, you know, a quarter of an inch. Right, right. So then you put more leaves and more oil and more salt and more garlic. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then I tasted it, and it said, you bought some pine nuts at the store, and we want pine nuts. Yummy. So I threw some pine nuts in. It doesn't last as long when you put nuts in there because the nuts go rancid. But, yeah, but, Mm -hmm. you know, just make a vow to use it. Yes. Oh, that's amazing. That's a wonderful uh, recipe. Thank you so much. And, um, again, thank you for all the energy you put into the Comfrey Conference. Brilliant. Yes. 
so supportive. And um, did you say anything in the beginning about your time at the conference, uh, the Midwest Herbal? Yes, I had a just fantastic time at the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference. The food was beyond fabulous. What was served to drink was infusion. There were 500 women there. They were making 500 quarts, (laughs) over 120 gallons of infusion every night. Amazing. And it was usually gone by 10 in the morning. Whoa. Oh, People wonderful. liked oat straw. There was a lot of oat straw. They had elderberry rosehip infusion that they served. It was really yummy, especially with a little honey in it. Oh, whoa. Mm. It was like fruit punch. Wow. One of the women who was making the infusion said it came at the jar, you know, using an ounce of elderberry and an ounce of rosehips for half a gallon. She said, it was so thick, she said, I, I, you know, I, I just, I had to add some more water because it just seemed like too sludgy. And I said, you did right. It's perfect now. Mm, boy. Wow. That's great. Right. Yeah. So I don't know, you know, if it was like, because the rose hips had pectin, right? Yeah. So the rose hips might have made it particularly kind of like sludgy, but gelatinous, kind of, and then her adding the, uh, some fresh water, and she said a significant amount of fresh water to kind of get it to be like a drinkable liquid again. <laughs> <laughs> they put out mullen infusion, and Eagle Sun brought milk from her goats because she drove, so we had mullen milk with mokalani. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah, oh. it was just wonderful, you know. Wonderful. Whole wheat bread, really, just really fabulous. And that's that's one of the reasons we go to in-person conferences is because yeah. so much happens over meals. The people you sit with, the conversations that occur, yes, yes. it's all so nourishing. The nourishment of the food, the nourishment of the women, the nourishment of the ideas and the rub of those ideas against each other. Friction makes the spark. Wonderful. Is there anything coming up for us here in the New York, you know, area? Anything coming up for us? Conference? Not that I know of. But, you know, if I were interested, I would just, you know, ask my search engine, you know, local herbal conferences. You know, we're outside, and somebody has decided to um, weed whack, and it's awfully loud. So I think I'm going to go inside and get away from that noise, because you all can probably hear it zizzing away, too. Oh, boy. The revenge of the Weed Whacker Nation. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Susan. You are welcome, Carol. Green blessings. Love you. you. Bye-bye. Green blessings. Bye-bye. All right. And it looks like we have one caller that has pressed one to raise their hand. And you are dialed in from the 360 area code from the 360. You are live with Susan. Hello, Susan. 
Hi. First of all, I just wanted to say how grateful I am that you've been a part of my life for many years and part of my healing journey, and I'm so glad to have met you and um, just seen such a beautiful woman, woman to inspire me on my dance in this life. So thank you for being thank here. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. Awesome. So I have been on a dance with my vulva, and I am trying to um, really find healing for something that is going on. And um, what I noticed was some tiny little bumps on my labia minora. And so that triggered me to go in for a pap smear examination, which was found unconclusive. So I went back into the doctor and had her take a look at what I was talking about specifically and not just do the cervical exam. And she is um, going to do a biopsy on that area. Um, but she had also told me it didn't look like anything but a shaving rash or sensitivity to soaps. And I just kind of like to talk to you about what that area could potentially look like if it's not an HPV infection, what other kind of things could it be? And is a biopsy of that tissue like really a necessary step in this process? So some questions surrounding that. My first reaction is that a biopsy is definitely over the top. Okay. And that it's more likely to distress already distressed tissues than to be healing. Okay. Now, that said, let me ask you, do you have a strong inner sense that you have cancer? Uh, that is something I just can't, I have a lot of fear right now circling around a lot of different things because I haven't had um, multiple partners or anything like that. So this change in that tissue is concerning to me. So I'm trying to figure out the best route without ignoring something that maybe needs to be, you know, have some attention. I hear you. And certainly no one wants you to ignore it. And I don't think you are ignoring it. But cutting it is a little more than not ignoring it. True. So I'm just trying to figure out my my safest route. what What I ask you, and I'm going to ask you again, is do you have some inner sense that you have cancer? I don't no, think you do, because I think if you did, you would say yes. Now, I could be wrong. I'm going to give you a chance to contradict me and say, no, no, Susan, I really do. I have this, like, you know, I have this, you know, I'm, I'm seeking this biopsy because I know something is wrong, and I need to show the doctors that something is wrong. Yeah, that's that's the dance in itself that I keep wavering back and forth on in my mind. So it's my own balance between those two thoughts, right? I feel positive uh-huh. and comfortable uh-huh. about my health, but then uh-huh. I'm dancing in my darkness with fear, right? And I'm trying to overcome both of those and, and not, you know, just trying to clear my path, get a good, good path. So let me be very clear with you. Although at this point it seems like a biopsy will help the part of you that's in fear, 
it will actually inflame it and make it far worse. Okay. I really hear you about the fear, and I think you're really wise to do something to help yourself deal with that fear, but a biopsy isn't that something. Okay. So kind of my initial thing was, is there, like, if this was an irritation or some kind of, like, this hard spot, oil, oil, duct clogs or something like that, is there a plant Mm -hmm. that would be helpful? So these little hard places on your uh, inner labia has been there for how long? And do there seem to be more or less? Do they seem to be more or less tender? And is there anything that you've done that has improved them? Uh, So they're not more or less tender. Um, They have gotten more significant. I have more of them. And they've been more prevalent in the last, like, five months. And before that, I didn't notice them. Is there redness, itching? I'm envisioning a little bump that isn't open or oozing. Is that correct? Not opening or oozing or anything like that. Just little hard bumps, tiny, like a pinpoint. And many of them almost there, it like looked like a plaque of it almost. Starting to sound like a fungal infection. Worse when you're hot and sweaty? No. No itching, no any irritation. What a blessing. I'm so glad to hear that. (laughs) On the other hand, it means it's unlikely to be a fungus then. Right. Right. Which generally, like as we know, damp, warm, moist environments. So, oak bark is a very interesting remedy for just about anything that seems to be off down there. And it especially shines for situations where women feel like they're kind of at their wit's end with it. Oak, of course, is the tree of summer solstice. Mm. This is really the time of oak. And oak is said to exemplify as above, so below, that the oak roots extend down to the heart of the earth and that the tippy top of the oak extends up to the pole star so that the whole circling universe circles around the oak tree 
So when we are invoking the healing of oak, it is a very deep healing. It is tissue healing. It is emotional healing. It's spiritual healing. Mm. That that resonates with me. That's something I thought about trying. So I'll definitely yeah. make an infusion for that. Yeah, any part of the oak can be used. So you can use the, the young leaves, the twigs, the inner bark, the outer bark, the acorns. Good. Whatever, yeah, you, whatever, you're, whatever you're called to. Okay. okay. And usually a sits bath. So you brew it up and then you pour it into a shallow tub that you can sit your vulva down into. And um, as we were talking about at the very beginning of the show, a wonderful time and a place to ask for help and to be humble and to allow um, the great generosity of nature to give to you. Very good. The wonderful thing about receiving from nature is you don't have to deserve it. It's a gift. True, true. Yeah. All right. Okay. Oh, give that a try. Will you call back after a while and tell us what happened? Yes, I can do that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank I especially you. like to know once I get involved. <laughs> Thank you. And I wonder what happened. Was she able to do it? Because, you know, for me, it's like sometimes she'll say, oh, well, yeah, I don't want to call back because I didn't really do it. I said, you know, any feedback is important feedback. Because if you call and you say, oh, yeah, that was too messy. I couldn't do that. Da, da, da. Well, then, you know, I'm going to, like, back off and tell them people to do something that nobody's going to do. I don't want to waste all of our time. Truth. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> like, you know, if it's a bummer, tell me. That's just as important as a great success story. Beautiful. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Good blessings. Good night. All right, and I will remind everyone listening this evening that we have an extra 30 minutes to take your questions. So um, if you have a question, do remember to press 1 to get yourself lined up in the queue. Um, I'm not seeing any hands raised right now, but we do have a couple email questions if you'd like to go there. Absolutely. All right. Hi, Susan. Will you please share with me your take on deja vu? What is it and what <laughs> makes it happen? Thank you very much. <laughs> I think I might have mentioned Mama Donna. <laughs> and Mama Donna is doing um, Ask Your Mama. And this really is an Ask Your Mama, Ask Mama Donna question. <laughs> <laughs>
before we're aware of it. And that every once in a while, we actually kind of get into the process and become aware that our brain is, shall we say, a little bit ahead of us. And when we do that, it's like, oh, I've already been there, but you haven't already been there, but you have already been there because your brain was already there. So that's my take on it. What's your take on it, Sarah Ellen? Oh, well, um, I think it's very interesting. That makes sense to me. Um, I have a lot more deja vu now than I used to. And um, I think my most interesting experiences with deja vu are my brain knows it's going to happen, but when it has happened before, it's in a different time and place. Um like way long ago, like it might, I might be in Florida now and it might be happening a thousand years ago in a really cold wood in a cabin or something. So I don't know if that's the wow. same. Yeah. So how is, I, yeah. Very interesting. Right. It's almost like two things are going on at once. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, it'll, yeah, and sometimes it'll happen for, like, I'll have clusters of it for a couple days at a time. And usually by about the third day, it's it's kind of fun at first, but then by about the third day, it's like, ah, it's just going to stop. So, yeah, it's interesting. I hear yeah. you. Yeah. It's like, all right, enough mm-hmm. already. You're going to stop now. Yeah. Yes. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. I... um. The first thing that I was allowed to offer at the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference was a special intensive uh, cancer diagnosis, help yourself the wise woman way. And I was very honored to have that conversation recorded. And it was recorded by the author of Goldilocks. I was wondering what happened to that story. An image came to her, her mother kneading fresh herb into dough, the same herb as the plant in her hand. That plant was rosemary, her mother. Her mother, now Goldilocks remembered. Goldilocks and her mother had been walking on an errand to town. Goldilocks knew a shortcut and impishly suggested a race to the old oak. Then she dashed off before her mother had a chance to disagree. It's a very good shortcut, and Goldilocks arrived at the tree much faster than her mother could ever hope to get there. While waiting for her mother to arrive, a butterfly twirled past. Goldilocks watched for a moment as it went to the forest edge, and then followed it as it went further. She got into the oak so quickly, surely she had time to admire the beautiful, colorful butterfly without realizing it. Goldilocks followed the butterfly deeper and deeper into the woods in a direction she'd never gone before. Before she thought to worry, she was distracted by a most unusual sight, a thatched roof house that was covered in climbing roses. The roses tumbled upward like a fountain, deep red, sparkling with morning dew. A stained glass rose window winked from the second floor. Goldilocks approached and knocked on the front door. 
gingerly, the scent of the roses wafting about her. No one answered. With her gentle knock, the door came slightly ajar, though, and so much invitation. And once inside, ooh, <laughs> the scent of sweet porridge, and yes, there it was, laid out in three bowls, a small bowl, a medium bowl, and a large bowl. Desire seized Goldilocks, and she was unable to resist taking a bite. She made her way onto a plain, high-backed wooden chair. It was terribly hard and peered over the rim of the biggest bowl. It was bubbling and steaming. She took a small bite. Ow! 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 That bridge is too hot. She got down off the too hard chair and climbed into the next one. Covered, covered, covered in pillows, 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 so pillowy she could, she could barely sit. She peered into the medium bowl and saw it was quite milky. With no steam or warmth at all, the flavor was sweet. But for Goldilocks, it was too cold. She extracted herself from heaps of pillows on the too soft chair, and then she went to the third place. She sat on a small wooden chair with a seat of braided fiber, pretty embroidered cushion at her back. It wasn't too hard and it wasn't too soft. And she tasted the porridge in the smallest bowl. It was steamy and sweet. Mm, it wasn't boiling hot. Mm. In fact, thought Goldilocks, it was, it was just right. And she remembered taking that first delicious bite <laughs> and then just not resisting her urge to finish it all. She was full of yummy porridge, and sitting in a comfortable chair, she leaned back to relax after her feast and cringed to remember what happened next. Oh, dear. The chair toppled over, the seat ripped, and the legs were all bent. The embroidered cushion shot across the floor, skidded in ashes from the hearth. Goldie likes was Stunned and embarrassed, she stood up to collect herself and noticed a charming curved staircase. She wanted to take a tiny peek upstairs just to see that pretty round rose window from the inside. So she circled up the stairs into a small pitched roof room. There were three beds. The first was gigantic and had a plain high headboard and a thin blanket. No, they don't nod to comfort. The bed in the middle was so strewn with pillows and blankets you could hardly see the headboard. And the final bed, which was under the rose window, had a braided headboard with a quilt and a pillow embroidered with the same pattern as the cushion downstairs. So, Goldilocks climbed into the littlest bed. First, over the big bed, which was too hard, and then nearly drowning in the pillowy middle bed, which was too soft. And then she landed on the littlest bed and sat in the pinkish golden light of the rose window. And it was... Just right. She lay down to admire the beautiful window and fell fast asleep in that suit. Goldilocks returned from her reverie. Now she remembered her mother, the morning errand, the race to the oak tree, the butterfly, the rose cottage, her shock of admiration, her curiosity, her desire, her carelessness. She inhaled the scent of rosemary and gazed at the sea. The sun 
was going quickly down. She knew what she wanted to do. She wanted to return home to her mother, who was surely worried, but she didn't know how. She felt a tear or two fall down her cheeks, the mirror of the rosemary flowers, and her hand rusts. Marinas, the tears of the sea, but she couldn't cry more than those few tears because she was all cried out from before. The blue of the flowers and the blue in her tears pointed the way in her heart to the blue sea. She put the broken rosemary branches in her bundle with the honeycomb and started making her way down the cliffside path in the last of the sunset light. Are there any callers? Uh, let's see. Uh, yes, we do. We have a caller that has raised their hand by pressing one, and you are dialed in from the 203 area code. We are ready for you from the 203. You are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. What's up tonight? Hi. I have a question about my cycle. I tend to get, like, a lot of anxiety the week before and my heart will beat really fast and I kind of feel almost like I'm out of breath and this has been happening for at least the past year I've started to notice it it might have always been happening and it just kind of like affects my life and I'm just wondering if there's anything I can do to help that have you heard about motherwort I have yeah I do take it and does it help at all? I don't notice it. It's not obvious to me. I'm sure uh-huh. subtly it is doing something. And is it motherwort made from dried plant material or fresh plant material? It's the fresh tincture. Wonderful. So some people find that lavender or lemon balm is a better anti-anxiety ally. Mm-hmm. I like motherwort because it has so many other wonderful things. But perhaps lavender or lemon balm is more suited to you. I remember a woman telling me that she had a very high-stress job. She decided she was going to make a lemon balm tincture to help her through her job. And that when she went to decant it after six weeks, the lemon balm said to her, well, you know, your job is really high stress. What you need to do is take this tincture and pour it over a new jar of lemon balm. Mm. So she made a double tincture. And she waited another six weeks, and then she said, all right, now I've got my lemon balm tincture. And the lemon balm said, eh, do it again. <laughs> So she took the really, really green tincture and she poured it over a yet another bottle of fresh lemon balm. Obviously, she had a huge lemon balm patch. Mm-hmm. And she let it sit another six weeks. And she said she was absolutely bomb-proof. <laughs> when she took that, she said nothing could make her anxious. Nothing could upset her. She, would, she kept a bottle full of it at work. And as soon as she got to work, that was her ritual, was she took a dropper full. And then any time during the day, like she said, sometimes she'd just rub it on her wrists. Mm. Mm. 
Nice. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Cool. So the other thing is possible that you are in a situation that your psyche sees as threatening. Mm. Okay. And then it's trying to alert you to that threat. Mm-hmm. And in which case it's important to acknowledge that. Excuse me. a little bit when I go outside my car looks like it has an aura there's so much pollen on it yeah yeah mine too it's like glowing golden from the pollen it's like it's okay I'll sneeze I don't have allergies but I do sneeze a little a little more when there's all that stuff in there definitely it's necessary (laughs) so does motherwort grow where you live it does, yeah. Motherwort is starting to come into flower right here, right now. Is it flowering mm-hmm. where you are? It is, yeah. It's about well, to totally bloom. There you go. So maybe you want to make yourself a double motherwort or even a triple motherwort. Mm, yeah, that sounds really good. I'm going to try and that. You don't necessarily even have to wait six weeks, right? Like you do it for a month and then do another jarful. Motherwort mm-hmm. definitely, definitely stays in bloom during all that period. That's not a problem. Okay. Yeah. And you would only use the fresh flowering part yes, of the motherwort? Yes, only the fresh top, yeah. And 100 proof okay. vodka. Okay, great. All right. amazing. Thank you so much, Susan. You're so welcome. And call back sometime and tell us what's going on, okay? I will. Thank you. Thank you. Great blessings. Bye-bye. Great blessings. All right, and we have about 22 minutes for uh, callers to uh, press 1 and ask questions this evening. If you've got a question for Susan, just press 1 to get yourself lined up in the queue. And um, what's your pleasure, Susan? We have one more email question, and we also could hear the rest of the story or more of the story. What would you like to do? The path was narrow, but well-worn, its height not so great as the broad view suggested. At the bottom, yielding sand, briny seaweed, and swishing waves greeted her. Goldilocks instinctively craved the water, imagining the gentle water washing away the day's dirt and confusion. She planted her bindle staff firmly in the sand, kicked off her shoes, and undressed securing her slip, pantalettes, and dress to the bundle holding the rosemary and honeycomb, and then she walked into the steadily darkening sea. A calm contrast to the sky's broad sweeps of sunset color. The salt water felt cold and slippery, except for the momentary sting on her scratched leg. She kept going in, enjoying the rocking force of the waves, in water up to her belly button, she asked the question she remembered on the cliffside. How can I get home, deep blue sea? The sea did not speak. 
Goldilocks emptied her mind and waited for the answer. Home. Home. Goldilocks put her hands together, lifted them over her head, and dove into the water. The water's enclosure was a momentary shock, and it stung her tear-inflamed face. The pressure and cool embrace was an inverse reminder of the hairy heat of the little bear's hug. Goldilocks surfaced. She was further from shore than she had realized in the day's light had vanished, and it was now night. But she had no sense of fear or even urgency, just a desire to float. So Goldilocks floated on the gentle rock of the waves while the ocean turned the blank pages of its endless book. A blue silk world, a blue silk cradle, she was rocked above the stars like freckles on a dark face. Soon a black moon rose, a stone skipping across the Milky Way's eternal stream of light. Goldilocks calmly gazed at the night sky, her serenity as deep as the water below, until something slimy brushed past her. She spliced her attention. In that same moment, a wave knocked her face, filling her eyes and nose with salty water. The once tranquil waves churned with menace. All the more frightening for their indifference, the shore was so far away. She could see the white of her cotton undergarments flapping in the distance, such a long distance as the sea swept her further west and south. She felt cold and sick. Panic rose in her as she understood the danger she was in, the uncertainty of her future needed into her heart. Like rosemary in her mother's bread, her hopes and expectations shriveled in the face of the giant, uncaring sea. The white cotton fabric in the distance blew in her mind, a small white flag in unwilling surrender. She felt so angry at this unintended symbol of defeat. Blinded by her anger, the image of the flag shifted and grew. It grew until it, grew until it became a ship's sail a means of propulsion, movement away from this place. The sail grew larger and larger and larger still. Now a white mass of fabric, a handkerchief so huge, so huge, it covered the sky and blotted out the stars. It became large enough to soak up all the tears of the sea. And again, as with her heave, hum, cries in the glade, the white in her mind seemed to expand from out of her to fill up the whole world. Yes! An unmistakable brightening, Goldilocks looked up and saw the dark moon slowly open its eye into light. She watched this miracle awestruck as the moon came into fullness and slowly closed into shadow again. It was as though the universe had taken a brief glance into the sea's mirror. Where is my page? Turn it. I just turned my own page. Okay, all right. Goldilocks felt into the magnificent darkness, almost disbelieving the brightness from a moment before. The rise and fall of the waves around her, read from their pages into her mind. It all comes to you out of the blue. She looked again to the faraway coast. Her bindle was now distant speck of white on the shore. She did not know what the future held, but that didn't mean she had to surrender to panic and cold. Goldilocks set her mind on landfall. She felt the current, and she began to swim. Rather than struggle eastward, she joined the southern movement of the current, kicked her legs, pumped her arms, heading south until the westward current slacked. Then she turned toward the shore. 
So Lilat's priest with all her might, her muscles blazed with terrible effort. She set the white sail in her heart. She had so much strength. She remembered the honey on her tongue, the bee's energy and joy bounding from flower to flower, the thrum of her sadness that matched their song. It all came from the same place, a source within that is also her desire for the shore, a rhythm, a message, a Morse code from the deep, deep depths of ancient great-grandparents who pushed, pushed, pushed into each other, pushed into the woods, pushed water, pushed words, pushed into birth, pushed new life into being the ancient waves, the ancient wavelengths, the ancient will, the ancient desire, the ancient faith. Go, go, go. Let's go. Let's go now. Light, light. Let's go. Gray, but steady from behind the eastern shore. Each stroke of her limbs cranked the sun from behind the planet's blue backside. Push, 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 push. Goldilocks prayed with every atom of her being. Push, and then sand, sand, sand beneath her feet. Oh, goodness. Oh, please, a dream of rest for her body, numbed by fiery labor and with the solid miracle of earth below her. Goldilocks finished her struggle to the shore and safely collapsed. And I think that's a pretty good place to leave her. Mm. Wow. And if there are no more, yes, the story does go on. And if there are no more questions, we don't have to stay. We can simply say good night. So that's it. Push one. Yes, I don't see it yet, but you, you have a chance. Push one if you have a question for Susan this evening. Um, and we send everybody who is dealing with COVID, whether it's a mild case or a not-so-mild case, we send you everything you need to cycle into wholeness and health and holiness. We are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients, and each one of us has access to this healing force, this universal healing force of our ancients, whoever they are. We honor the ancient ones, the trees, that the trees are the ancient, ancient uh, beings who are so deeply connected to people. And hey, Citizen science and herbal medicine as people's medicine. That's what the Comfrey Conference is about, herbal medicine as people's medicine, and that's what the Hypericum Confabulation. Hypericum, that's St. Joan's Word or St. John's Word to you all. Hypericum Perforatum, the Hypericum Confabulation coming right up. We are restoring herbal medicine to its rightful place. As people's medicine, Sarah Ellen, you the best. Oh, thank you so much. I love you, Susan. You're the best. Love you, too. Good night, everybody. Green blessings.